0: Hello, oh, and thank you for joining us again. I'm really thrilled to share this week's episode, which is a deep dive into Terence Malick's screenplay for his 2005 film, The New World. Set between the years 1607 and 1617, it tells the story of the foundation of the Virginia colony, centering on the mythological romance between Captain John Smith and the Powhatan princess Pocahontas. If you were a fan of our previous episodes on Martin Scorsese's Silence or James Gray's The Lost City of Zed, I know you are going to really enjoy this one as well. This is a long episode for a long screenplay, but we provide clear analysis and some really thought-provoking conclusions in this one, so thank you again for supporting the show, and without further ado, here is The New World. Hello and welcome to The 21st Rewrite, the podcast about screenplays and the process of writing them. I'm William Coldwell and I'm joined as always by my good friend and co-host Alan Vasquez.
1: And we are going to be talking about The New World today, written and directed by Terrence Malick, it came out in 2005 and it's uh, one of those films that has kind of gone under the radar, you know, what well, did I think when it first came out. I think it was released in a couple theaters that so could be qualified for the Academy Awards and then it didn't really come out till January. But since then I think it's gotten a bit of a following. With this film in
0: particular, there is a sense that it has been missed by so many people, but Mm -hmm. the ones who do watch it and are not utterly baffled by it Mm -hmm. tend to become convinced that it's one of, if not the best, it's one of the best films of the last 20 years, which I think is pretty remarkable because it seems to have this effect on people due to Terrence Malick's very unique style of directing, which has it been compared to everything from orchestral music to philosophy it it seems to be transcending the boundaries of film whereas in reality it is very much a film Mm. with very film-like qualities things that many of us might think could be improved or changed Mm. questions about historical accuracy in the script and everything like that but When you're watching it, all of that doesn't seem to matter anymore. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just an experience.
1: He's a very seductive storyteller. He kind of lures you in with images and music and little moments between the characters. He's got a very distinct style. I think all his films that I've seen of his are very similar. They kind of feel like visual poems to me. This one in particular felt very meditative. It felt very reflective. It it didn't feel very traditional. And even when, even in scenes, he's constantly cutting to shots of stuff that's not happening in that particular moment to just infuse you with a sense of feeling. I think that's kind of his objective. And I think the way he shoots from what I've heard and from what I've seen like behind the scenes is that he's very experimental. He doesn't, he has a script, which we will talk about, uh, which even that is very different from any other script I've read. And we'll get into that as well. But I think he just throws it all out the window. And he's just in the moment. And I think he really likes to experiment with his actors and with the camera. And uh, he's a very spontaneous filmmaker. It just flows. It has its own flow, I feel. So what we
0: usually would expect from you at home listening is that you probably have watched most of the films for the episodes you're listening to. And in many cases, probably have also tried to find the screenplay and, and read that as well. But in this particular case, I can't recommend highly enough actually going and reading this screenplay, because I think it really helps you decipher the film.
1: Mm-hmm. It really helps
0: you understand everything that's going on. And it's it's so interesting because you are suddenly able to follow this story, as you mentioned, Alan, with all these cuts that that take you out of the scene take you into a character's mind, take you into the future, into the past, into something that might not really be happening. Mm-hmm. And it sets it all out linearly for you for the first time. Is when you have mm-hmm. the, the screenplay, you can actually read it in order from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting how Terence Malick wrote it. He does delve very deeply into the minds of the characters mm-hmm. with action lines that are bordering on narrative fiction at, at certain points. Oh yeah, points. for sure. Certainly far beyond what most studios would recommend or allow a screenwriter to, to go into. He writes huge chunks, huge paragraphs of what's going on mm-hmm. internally for characters. Mm-hmm. And we do see that reflected on screen, but because of the difficulty of portraying these things on screen, It takes someone like Terrence Malick to draw out that much. But it's very interesting because you have this counterbalance where it's almost like a book has been written to accompany the film. Yes. As opposed to a, a screenplay that was followed scene by scene.
1: Yes, that's exactly how I felt. And actually, I watched the film first. I remember it being a very visual film, so I really wanted to dissect it in a very visual way. And I was like, okay, I saw the film and then I read the script. That was the first thing that kind of like hit me was like, I feel like I'm reading a novel. The way he describes things and the way he describes characters and the details that he puts into how a room looks or whatever. It's like really unnecessary, I think, for a script. Usually those are the kind of stuff that you write that, you know, producers or whatever, the studio doesn't really, well, why are you writing that? It doesn't really matter. but. I read and it was a pleasure to read because it it does kind of give you more insight to what is happening. And I remember actually reading it and there would be moments where I'd be like, I totally missed that in the the film. Uh."
0: So there are actually scenes that we find overlaid in just echoes of people's Mm -hmm. voices. Mm -hmm. And clearly they either recorded the entire scene or part of it in full. And then overlaid the dialogue from that scene, which is no longer present in the film, Mm -hmm. on top of another scene. Mm -hmm. And these are really fascinating techniques. I think this, overall, this script just has this power of, for a reader, it explains to you very much what the director's original idea for this film was. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I think it offered the actors a very powerful view into the minds of the characters and the way that -hmm. the director was expecting them to portray these characters, which Mm -hmm. upon this third viewing of the film, seeing the interpretations by Colin Farrell, by Cory Kilcher, Christian Bale, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: now I see why they chose certain directions with those characters, which earlier had seemed more mysterious to me. Mm -hmm. The way that Smith is portrayed, particularly, Mm-hmm. I found made much more sense having having read that script.
1: Yeah, and I think it's kind of kudos to them because upon reading the script, the, the dialogue seemed really unnatural in a way. Reading it, I was like, I'm like, but it didn't sound that way. And it's almost the exact same dialogue. But if I would have read the script first, I would have been like, how are they really going to pull this off? Because it sounds very unnatural to say. It's very... I don't want to say Shakespearean, but it has that old English type of, you know, uh, flow to it. But in the film, it just, it never feels out of place or like, it doesn't make sense. Like it actually it works. And I think that's the actors who really brought that to life. I think they did a great job to, to make that sound good. As
0: Yeah. As an English person. Yes. I have never seen a more accurate portrayal of the variety of regional accents and interesting. the, um, the way that class status is revealed mm-hmm. and enforced through the different ways of speaking mm. English in England. And for an American film, that is very interesting. Obviously, I've seen it done well in English films. That's right. I think it, this is the first right. time I've ever seen an American film fully comprehend yeah. what is going on at that micro level mm. of what certain accents, ways of talking, convey to to an English audience.
1: So I know that Terrence Malick really wanted to be very authentic with the film so he actually did a whole bunch of research onto the Powhatans and he actually was able to it's kind of a dead language but he actually got a lot of uh, Native Americans who are proficient in you know, old languages, and they were actually able to kind of piece it back together enough to give the actors an actual language to speak. So this is it's probably not 100% accurate, but that language is technically kind of dead. No one really speaks it, but they brought it back just for the film, which I thought shows kind of like the level of detail that he was going for. Uh, he brought all the Native Americans who were in that area, because I believe they shot the film 10 miles away from the actual original Jamestown
0: yeah, the Jamestown currently because mm-hmm. Jamestown was a colony that was abandoned, so the area around Jamestown now is a historical park. Right, it's not like New York where if you were trying to do a film set in early oh, New yeah, York yeah, or yeah. New Amsterdam, yeah, yeah, yeah. you would you would be forced into finding an alternative location. Oh, at for least, sure. At least there is a lot of um, conservation around that area,
1: mm-hmm. and they shot about ten miles away from so the. The land, the uh, the whole um, landscape, everything. It, you know, they wanted to be as true to that setting, and so I, I, you know, I think he did a lot of research in in terms of trying to make it as authentic. And part of the way you see that it's shot is that it's very immersive, especially for an old period biopic. It's like a very immersive experience because he's constantly going in and out of places, and I think that was part of the reason why it felt so poetic. The cameras constantly moving i think it's rarely still
0: one thing i think we should really keep in mind as well because of the level of research and the care that was clearly taken with this film Mm -hmm. when something is not historically accurate Mm -hmm. such as smith's relationship with pocahontas Mm -hmm. that suggests to me not some sort of failing on the part of the filmmakers Mm -hmm. but actually that it is meant to symbolize something that it's an intentional allegory that we can explore um, as part of this story as opposed to some sort of oh i can't believe they didn't know this you you know these typical videos you might find on youtube of 10 inaccuracies in this film or that film i think in in this particular case what what you're coming up against is if there's an inaccuracy i think they're very aware of it for storytelling purposes it has been the story has been adapted for a different reason yes occasionally we make this mistake of jumping straight to the end but another point is that thomas and pocahontas's son did not go back to the new world he grew up in england for example mm-hmm. and so that sim that symbolizes something within the ending by having him returning with his father historically that didn't happen
1: yeah, I mean, I wasn't that proficient in the history of, of this. I mean, I knew kind of the basics and I did do some research while watching the film uh, or for watching the film. I, But nonetheless, I remember when I first watched it, I took it with a grain of salt. I, I always take historical films with a grain of salt. I never think, oh, yeah, that must have been the truth. And then <laughs> feel betrayed when it's not. I don't think that anyone should go watch a film thinking that's the absolute truth. And do your own research and and really know what actually went on. It's more about trying to capture, like you said, an an allegory, a a sort of a symbolism or a representation of what it was happening at that time. This whole, I mean, it's right there in the title for me. It's this new world. It's, It's this time where two completely different cultures were meeting for the first time. And it symbolized through. Uh, John Smith and Pocahontas and that wasn't even her real name actually that was her nickname
0: yeah <laughs> which, which meant playful mm-hmm. and certainly comes through in in the character and even that aspect of her character when, yep. when we get to talking about characters I think is mm-hmm. is worth talking about the the way she starts out how playful she is at the beginning and then that that dip as mm-hmm. she is brought into English society and civilized using their word mm-hmm. um but kind of having to restrain so much of herself and her personality to fit in having been yeah. uh, exiled from her own community yeah and i you know the the fact that she even loses that name during the course of it it there's, right. there's something heartbreaking about that as well in a way of yeah but let's let's get stuck into it mm-hmm. as usual we'll be discussing dialogue character story plot and themes Mm -hmm. this is a really complicated film and it's three hours long the screenplay 132 pages felt much much longer as we've mentioned already the Mm -hmm. sheer amount of action lines which really are more biographical details historical details are included Mm -hmm. locations, senses, uh, things that, yes, they do come out on screen, but because of the way they're written, it's quite interesting because the screenplay feels quite long to read through. Mm -hmm. But in fact, a lot of the dialogue is cut out of that screenplay. And Mm -hmm. so if you're listening at home and wondering more about the story of the new world or wondering more about the characters, if you read the screenplay it's not necessarily that the action lines you'll find the most information about those characters is actually that he uses a very expositional style characters tell you a lot about their backgrounds through their dialogue and all of that is pretty much cut out of the film these long
1: well they uh, say what they what they feel they say what they mean it's not your it's not very subtle in that way where you know in in a lot of a dialogue for films, there's a lot of subtext and, you know, they're withholding information. A lot of the times they're it's almost like a play, you know, like an old Shakespearean play where they're literally informing you how they feel in that particular moment. But yes, a lot of it is cut out from from the actual yeah, film.
0: Mostly those types of speeches are cut mm-hmm. out. And the more traditional dialogue that we're used to is what's left in. And it's almost as if it didn't quite translate to screen. It didn't quite fit with the feeling that the film was yeah. meant to have. Yeah. And so it was It was the right change of directions, in, mm-hmm. in a way, to, to cut that out. Another thing that's very interesting about the dialogue in the screenplay is that Pocahontas learns English very early on in the screenplay, and therefore has a lot of dialogue throughout the screenplay. Whereas in the film, we are hearing more about her internal world, and when we see her on screen, she is often not talking. Mm-hmm. And I really love that slow buildup throughout the film of her. Originally, we hear her internal thoughts, but when we see her interacting, she's completely silent and mute and, mm-hmm. and miming. And mm-hmm. there, there is a point in the romance between her and Smith where she starts to learn simple words, word by word from mm-hmm. him, and then gradually, by the end of the film she is she's been living with the English for years and is fully fluent in English. Mm-hmm. And that build up from this beginning where we don't hear so much dialogue from her, all the way to the end where she is truly able to have conversations with, with Rolf about marriage and and their emotions and things like that. That that's a really interesting technique.
1: Mm. In a lot of his film I've noticed a lot of voiceover, a lot of self-talk and imposing on visuals and and kind of that is what's kind of giving you the insight to what the character is feeling maybe that's a good segue to start with dialogue you know just sort of the way there there was almost very little i think effort or maybe that was not the intention to really show how she learned english it was just kind of insinuated i think but the way that it, it unfolds in the film. Uh, you don't really question it too much. You just get the idea. Okay, she's she's learning how to communicate with with John Smith. Um,
0: yeah, it made sense with these little steps in the screenplay. Yeah. It's mentioned that she starts to hang around the Jamestown and yeah. and talk to sentries. And there's there's additional scenes that would have needed to have been shot with her doing that. But then yeah. it almost feels like that detracted from the intimacy of that.
1: It was more specific, or was more detailed in the script, and I think, I guess part of what I see maybe the reasoning behind that is that he wanted to focus on John Smith and Pocahontas and kind of, like you said, their intimacy and have it contribute to that instead of something separate. Because if you really think about it like in your head, okay, now she's going about and doing her own thing, it kind of does pull you away from what is the central story in that moment. And something else happened too where there was actually uh, conversations between the, the Native Americans and um, John Smith where there didn't seem to be a lot of confusion in communication. and It's almost like it was already established that they could communicate at a very basic level.
0: Yeah, it seems that in the screenplay version, he learns their language, which yeah. is um, Algonquian. I believe is the name. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the film, we see him almost as a uh, reluctant inhabitant of their, their world, and he doesn't learn their language. And mm-hmm. I, those two facets of the character are very different. One who is willing to learn and integrate with their society certainly in the screenplay i felt like smith has a much closer bond with the native americans as opposed to the smith we see on screen who is he's he's fighting his own inner demons a lot more of the time he's seduced by their world to a degree
1: he's more colin farrelly you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> he's,
0: he's certainly brooding all the time yeah
1: you know that is a very in- that's an interesting point actually i did notice that when i read the script i was like in the script, he's mentioned as being very fearless and free, and it's almost like this uh, godlike quality to him. I think that's mentioned a couple times in the script where he's just, you know.
0: He's more disney as well, I think. And he's mentioned as being blonde and dashing. And the John Smith we get is dark, dark hair, bronze skin. Yeah, kind of seems like an outsider. Amongst these very pale, um, Mm. all the other companions, he's got this exoticism about him that makes him stand out.
1: I guess he does. He feels also more brave in the script, in the beginning. Like this sort of... I mean, we don't really get to see that, again, because these are very descriptive words, and it's something that I think Colin Farrell did bring to the the character, but I think the film was more interested in the relationship between him and Pocahontas and not necessarily just John Smith. Uh, so I think that was a difference. But in terms of dialogue, I think in the script, there was quite a bit of it. Like you said, there was a lot of long sort of monologues from characters that kind of really just explain how they feel in certain moments.
0: And their backstory, which again, mm-hmm. wasn't necessary in a way. Reading about John Smith's backstory, both... In research and in the screenplay, yeah, it gives you backstory. It is, story. It is yeah. very fascinating, and many mm-hmm. things come out that are unexplained in the film, mm-hmm. such as his earring, which is is quite oh, yeah. prominent visually, but it's it's never explained. Whereas in in the screenplay, it's quite clearly explained that he used to be a, a prisoner of a um, a Turkish woman, and that this is why he wears this earring, because it was this mark of him being a prisoner. The main text I used for research was Bernard Balin's The Barbarous Years, which is an, an incredibly well-written work of history. Hmm. Uh, Balin had won two Pulitzer Prizes previously, so he's he's got a reputation as being a very good writer, but I was shocked at how good he actually is. Hmm. Yeah, the, the quote from Balin on Smith is, the exploits of that extraordinary soldier of fortune, as Smith himself related them, were so wildly flamboyant, so bombastic and impossible, that generations of historians would later dismiss them as fiction. But we now know that his autobiographical accounts, though boastful and fancily embroidered, are largely accurate. So it's, mm. it, it's quite shocking, but he actually did lead this incredible life where he had been fighting all over Europe as a soldier of fortune. He had been imprisoned by the Turks. He had murdered someone to escape from captivity and somehow made it over as part of this uh, English expedition to Virginia mm. and then carried on exploring and and trying to find the passage to the Pacific, which we now know does not exist. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's really fascinating to to highlight those elements of the character. Mm-hmm. And what we get in the, in the film version is that we just have to infer that there's something unique about him, but we, we, we either know his reputation or we don't as, as viewers. Mm. Most likely don't, because most of us are familiar with, I think, the, the more mythological view of him, which doesn't right. relate to the truth, but there is this mythological john smith and pocahontas romance which has been bandied about time and time again despite not being based on on any
1: real evidence real evidence yeah
0: due to her age more than anything it's just assumed oh yeah that during the time he was in jamestown it was impossible but they did know each other i mean they did meet yeah certainly the ending where he visits her when she's in england did happen he he did return to england to see her
1: Oh really? I did not know that part. I wasn't I didn't go that far into my research to see if that part was true. Yeah, but but such of... a
0: scene would not mm. carry the same meaning anyway because they hadn't had a relationship. Right. I do recommend people go and do their own research on this stuff because it is a very interesting story. But I I also think it's covered in Terence Malick's screenplay, which is where I would begin is just to see which elements of Smith he was bringing in from the mythological side and from that uh, stranger than fiction side where he really did lead this Mm. completely bizarre life up until that point and Mm -hmm. continued to and essentially stood out as quite a uh, a unique character it seems um, for even by the standards of his time.
1: No I mean I was fascinated to learn a lot about John Smith and how we learn about him and sort of the nature of who he is. I mean, I think Colin Farrell does bring a lot of that in, in the beginning of the film. But I think it's a lot of Pocahontas's perspective. Her constant inner monologue about what she sees in him. Uh, her constant connection to him. Her observations of him. I think that's how we as the audience get to know this side of him. In the script, you know, it's written there in detail and we get all this backstory, but that's not in the film. So I think that was one way that Terrence Malick used to kind of not only tidy up her relationship with him, but sort of who he is as a person and why she saved him, why she decided to uh, spare his life.
0: I believe it's three characters we really hear the internal monologue for, which are Smith, Pocahontas, and Rolf. Uh They are the ones who were granted that access to. And often that access is granted to learn about the romantic relationship with the other. So Mm -hmm. we hear Smith thinking about her and we hear her thinking about him. Mm -hmm. This balance would fall out of the film when Smith goes away. And it's restored by having Rolf take that place mm-hmm. and, and giving us access to his inner monologue. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting how he almost appears out of nowhere and then just slips quite firmly into that position for us as an audience. We're, mm-hmm. Because we're used, so used to that balance of, of going from one character to the other, from one to the other. That, yeah. that when he takes Smith's role, mm-hmm. suddenly he, it, it restores that balance for us.
1: Yeah, no, and I think it was done very seamlessly. And also the tone of the film shifted quite quite drastically. I think it went from this sort of very exciting and adventurous energy that the film had into a kind of more somber and a little bit more grounded, I think, tone, which he brought to that energy that the film had at that point. And it's the last third of the film, so there's definitely a shift Mm -hmm. Um, Bale's
0: performance is one of my favorites. Oh, he's he's always great. I I think it's between Bale and uh, Christopher Plummer for me who absolutely just gave perfect performances uh, for the roles that they were given. I think Plummer as Newport is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, no, Christopher Plummer was was amazing. I think with... um, Thing about Christian Bale was that a lot of the times he he would inform you what was going on with him with just a the look. There wasn't that much showiness, I think, in in his sort of performance, and I think that kind of well, al- along with the inner monologue, actually really yeah, helped too. He, he
0: managed to distill one page of Terrence Malick's action lines into a look
1: yeah isn't that amazing like i thought he he did a great job and when
0: you read those lines you'll see he genuinely did convey what was on that page somehow Mm -hmm. through his presence which is yeah quite quite surprising
1: and koryanka as pocahontas i thought was absolutely phenomenal i think she she had to carry this film you know everything's kind of centered around her her energy. the she, she
0: gets the first lines noticeably as well. We yeah. we start with the Native American perspective.
1: Yeah. And she has a very full of life and playful and everything that Pocahontas is described as being. She just brings everything to that performance and, and her way of walking, speaking and everything. And I think one of the things that really struck me that made her very endearing to me. As an audience member is her curiosity her sort of very innocent just curious about life and uh, i think that's what really i think made the film and made me care for three hours too that you know what was going on with her and we do see an arc with her as well i think we do see that sort of she doesn't just stay like that for the entire film there's definitely something that happens that makes her go uh, a different direction but i think in terms of dialogue i think there's very little of it in the final film.
0: She is completely transformed from the character that was written
1: mm-hmm.
0: in, in particular with the dialogue. I, I, oh, I think yeah. the idea of her as a person, the emotional beats remain the same, but because so much of that dialogue is taken away, mm-hmm. we, we see a very different side to her yeah. as a result of that. And that's a good thing. I think it's mm-hmm. it's much better to leave it as open to interpretation for us to try to understand and try mm-hmm. to see past things. And at, at times we're we're often condemned to seeing it from the side of the English and being mm-hmm. surprised or or not understand actions that are taken by the Native Americans and. In the screenplay they're quite clearly described as what is intended by a gesture or an action and yeah yet when because we don't have that explanation on screen we we start to see things and realize our our blindness to to what was going on and realize how complicated and confusing even today it would be to meet someone from from this time period who Mm had grown up in such a completely different cultural environment that no longer exists anymore.
1: Yeah, no, and I think she, um, in the script, I felt like she sounded almost like a Juliet-type character with all her dialogue. So you're right, she did become a completely different character on screen because a a lot of that was gone. And actually, a lot of the voiceover is new a lot of it wasn't in the script yeah so there was a lot of improvisation that i'm sure after he put the film together he must have brought in the actors and okay we need something to go here and maybe that came out well that did come way later and it didn't sound so shakespearean in nature or old english it didn't sound like that as it did in the script and so i think her vibe in the script is very different and even in some of the some of the scenes, I, I noticed in the scene towards the end when she sees John Smith again, a lot of the dialogue is cut out from her end. Like mm-hmm. he's still saying some of the same stuff that's on the script, but her responses are not there. And she is quiet, which adds to that whole sort of what you were saying earlier, that mute sort of silent demeanor that she has in the film as opposed to the script.
0: And And yet we can follow her emotional journey oh, without yeah. that dialogue, mm-hmm. which I think... I do feel like it. It makes sense having, having now read what was originally there. Mm-hmm. The cuts that are made do make sense, and at the same time, I also feel, if this was only the purchase of a script, and another director had taken on this project, we would have got a. Comp- we could have got as many interpretations of this film as there are directors out there. There's yeah. something about it inherently, that requires interpretation and i don't necessarily know if that would happen with the hangover for example if the script is there and the actors are the same we probably would get similar films every time it was if, if you had different directors right but, but yeah, in this, yeah. with a script like this i feel like there's a multitude of interpretations that can be made especially because you're you're forced into making decisions about what should be said and when and how to convey so many of the action lines on screen visually that it's just it's open to a million interpretations and it's 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 such an interesting film in that i often think of oh this could be done differently or that could be done differently Mm -hmm. and yet i'm completely satisfied with what i have as well saying it could be done differently isn't being said as a criticism in this particular case. It's just knowing that this is an interpretation of something that is almost endless because there's so many ways you could tell this story.
1: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's very, I mean, there's pages and pages without dialogue and you have scenes and scenes of just actions and observations or sometimes just descriptions of things. Like You're right. That That's a visual language and whoever is behind the camera can tell that story as as differently as they want so i do i do agree with that i think in terms of of dialogue in terms of lack of it really allows for music to really play i almost felt like music was kind of the dialogue of the film
0: james horner's score
1: oh it it's, was amazing yes it's so beautiful yeah um, and very different from his usual style. I mean, I, I I keep up with scores. I really like listening to soundtracks and composers. I'm kind of aware of his certain style. he he does fluctuate, but this is the the most different I've heard him. like it's very, very, it's a very beautiful score. And I think it's kind of an added dialogue to the film, you know, when you're In the silent moments when there is no dialogue, the music really fills in the gap to kind of guide you emotionally because a lot of the times you just have uh, empty, uh, empty frames with no actors in it and you're looking at water and you're looking at trees and you're looking at birds and the music kind of guides you as to what you should be feeling in that moment, which will connect from one scene to the other. I think that was worthy to know in terms of dialogue. It kind of adds a voice to the film.
0: The, the music is mentioned occasionally in the screenplay. Yet, it does, yeah. Yet some of those shots uh, and the effect that they have, which is is very much to put us as audiences into the state of mind of an explorer, being wowed by seeing the the wildlife, of, of seeing the the forests, of seeing the rivers. Mm-hmm. Everything is suddenly new to our eyes. It's, it's interesting, actually, in in Balin's account of, um, of the arrival. So what happened is, uh, when, when they first arrived and named the river, the James river, because everything was named after King James at this point, and no one <laughs> had any originality whatsoever. So they called the river, the James, but he mentions that they, they sailed up it at first and then sailed back down. And he says, all of these settlements that they would, one day come to know so intimately seemed so unique and different in in that moment. And then you get that sense of, well, they did live there for years. Eventually, all these places would take on a familiarity, would suddenly become the place where they lived, the place that became home, that they knew the direction. But that first impression is so important to convey to the audience, that sense of being awed by the majesty of this completely not untouched, but there's no construction around. It's, it feels like, as mm. I, I believe Captain Newport calls it at one point, the Garden of Eden, and that must have been how it felt to them, that they had reached this very pristine, untouched location.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, it definitely amplifies that whole, that whole feeling of... I mean, the way they lived is very much in in one with nature in in working with nature uh i think it was um reading the script kind of gives you a little bit more insight too with uh on how they lived and how they worked with the land i mean you get glimpses of it in the film but it doesn't linger on that too much and it's more about uh in the script that i definitely had more appreciation for for the way they lived and yeah. kind of the little details of because of, they
0: they certainly did manipulate their environment and that this isn't an untouched world by any means. Mm -hmm. It is is a human-controlled environment, but what was happening is that they required so much more space per person than we can conceive of, thinking of, well, you would build a farm here and this is how you would sustain yourself and this Mm -hmm. is where you would grow your food. Mm -hmm. And because of this mix of of hunting Mm -hmm. and fishing and then some planting that was always followed year after year following the seasons that you you get this sense of unity with nature because it's it's such a tailored approach and Mm. the introduction of another culture into this space disbalanced everything immediately completely Mm. upset everything but we do see that when the english are dying in jamestown of starvation during the winter the natives are absolutely fine
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, they've earned the right to... They know how to live
0: survive. in that time. Yeah. And the English have no idea what they're doing.
1: But then they have winters in in England, right? So they should have known better. Know.
0: <laughs> in a way, I mean, th- it does seem that the the settlers that came to Jamestown were a particularly shockingly misbehaved group of people. Yeah, and I and think that's mentioned in the script, too. It's alluded too. to yeah. in, the, in the screenplay and possibly in the film. And it, it's absolutely mind blowing in a way to read the accounts of what these settlers thought they were doing. Mm -hmm. That it does genuinely seem that some of them were completely unwilling to work and would have just been happy to, to steal and to, to, you know, this whole sense of working for the common good just seemed to be missing in some of the, the individuals that that went over there and it's yeah. it's just mind-blowing that they couldn't pull together and and form a common goal over that winter of staying alive together and and organizing hunting parties and doing the hard work so that everyone could survive it's really shocking
1: i also think like they probably like disease and all that stuff probably but i do actually i, I realized i did write something down in terms of uh when they're describing the native americans and when they're describing them how they're building their relationship with one another which i thought was very beautifully written in the script a few pages in it says it is a pleasant sight to see them waiting in the rivers in the cool of the evening free of care living cheerfully and at their heart's ease they do not seek more than they need they share with their neighbors they overflow with mercy and loving kindness they have no want beyond what the day provides like the lilies of the field they neither toil nor spin yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these I mean this is usually not how you write a script
0: (laughs) (laughs) and you can just see the passion that Terrence Malick is writing with saying okay this is what I have right now but you have to trust me this is what I'm writing right now this could be on screen this could be a film and you read those words, you or you hear these words as as they're written, mm-hmm. and you think, yes, please do that, please attempt that, please. Yeah, because it paints film. a
1: it paints a picture in your head, like it really vividly brings it to life. I was reading that, I'm like, this is beautiful. Like this is a very, and you get that when you watch the film, all these components who really paint that picture.
0: One thing I think is actually what I was thinking is why have there not been more films like this about the earliest parts of American history Mm. and one of the things I I was thinking is well within about 10 years this colony is going to be tainted by slavery and so you're going to have this point from the mid-1600s all the way up till till the Civil War really where the entire American economy is going to be based on slavery. And so it's kind of a unique period in that you can address early American history here in terms of just the contact of civilizations without having to deal with that legacy of slavery as well. Mm. And so you really won't see any films Mm -hmm. set in that that other time. I I think in terms of well-known films for the 21st century, you'd have to jump from this time period to Gangs of New York, really uh to to find the next film in the story of the history of America. That'd be interesting
1: to do to sort of like timeline and yeah. just see like which films fit into what year. But then you'll get twelve years of right. slave yeah.
0: and you'll get Lincoln and you you will once it starts to get around Civil War era, Cold Mountain, you know, you, you do get more. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's suddenly it's okay, well is ending, there's something Good to look forward to, but something in, to in proud terms of early American right. history, it's it's something that a a director and a studio is going to find themselves struggling with. How do I tell a story during that time period? And this this one kind of just misses that, and it's lucky in in being able to tell this story in as this allegory of John Smith representing the English and Pocahontas representing the Americans, and this sense of unification that comes with it that mm-hmm. maybe it isn't what both cultures ultimately wanted mm-hmm. but the there is love there there is there is this bond there is this world starting anew there is there is so much written in just in malik's own words uh, often characters uh john smith and newport in particular, do talk about the new world as being a place where everything can be started again where there's a new opportunity for humanity and then that seed of the american dream is is planted and so so many of these characters are not real in that sense they're they're standing in for this this dream the this mm-hmm. this kind of stuff that you find in many writers i suppose and and songwriters especially mm-hmm. anyone who who deals with that concept of the American dream, the fact is always shifting, always moving. It's never it's never really there. It always seems to go wrong. But you get to yeah. see just every now and again, in between the battles, in between the misunderstandings and the shootings and the abuses and and all of the, the starvation and all the terrible things that go go on. And some somehow these characters keep keep believing in it and keep keep striving for it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting cuz yeah, this whole concept of the American dream, you know, it, it is such a American thing to say and it's kind of, you know, you as someone who grew up here, I heard it dozens of times in school and you never really got a very specific definition as to what that is except that if you have a dream you can achieve it. Hmm. Which
0: and here it's it's alluded to in in terms of its conception, where it was born, these these settlers, these right. people who were many of them were from low status, or there were there were lots of gentlemen aboard that first um, that first voyage that sailed to Jamestown. Brothers of more affluent, or they were younger brothers, mm. so their status in life was was lowered, and there was this sense of if you go to that new world, mm. you can build a plantation, you can you can get it's a more blank land. Canvas. There was right. they'd never seen this much land coming from mm. an island the size of England that had already been divided up for centuries that right. suddenly it was, oh we can we can own so much land. Right. And then how that did not match the Native Americans' conception at all. And we get mm. lost actually. There's a point where early on one of the um one of the Powhatans goes in and and picks up an axe. Right. And just walks out with it, and he gets shot. Through our cultural eyes, it it makes sense. Well, we see him stealing, and he gets shot.
1: Yeah, but he wasn't. But actually. it's ex-
0: it's quite clear in the screenplay that it's explained. They have no concept of ownership. He was just taking mm. something for his own for, for a temporary use, but he never saw it as being theirs, and that mm. he was taking it from them, and that. The fact that that idea of ownership just didn't exist—it's actually hard for us to get our minds around it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to read one more part of okay. of Balin, but I just want to show you how he opened his book. Okay. So you might see some similarities with with Terence Malick in in the way that he writes. Mm. So he wrote, "They lived crowded lives." Few in number by modern demographic standards, even before European diseases tore through their villages like the wrath of God. Their world was multitudinous, densely populated by active, sentient, and sensitive spirits. Spirits with consciences, memories, and purposes that surrounded them, instructed them, impinged on their lives at every turn. No less real for being invisible, these vital spirits inhered in the heavens, the earth, the seas, and everything within. They drove the stars in the sky and gave life and sensibility to every bird, animal, and person that existed. And they were active within the earth's materials, rocks, hills, lakes, and rivers, and in the wind, the cold, the heat, and the seasons. And that's how he opens an explanation of what it might be like to think like one of the members of this tribe. Mm. And... That, I do think, is conveyed throughout the the film of The New World in a way that many people could miss that. But Mm. a a director like Terrence Malick will focus on everything that's majestic and unexplainable and magical about the world, Uh, something that he does much more, I suppose, in The Tree of Life. He, He really returns to that idea of there's something spiritual going on around us just look at it
1: oh well, for sure
0: I, I just wonder what your thoughts are on on that opening perhaps and how it might relate
1: well i mean first of all that's a great opening to a historical book it doesn't feel very traditional in the way you would start something so I already get inclinations like he's telling you a story rather than fact after fact after fact which is kind of cool which is i mean kind of the way that terence malik approached the film which is going through feeling it's going through Having some sort of, like you say, spiritual experience. He doesn't just stay on these characters. You know, it's about the land, it's about what it means to be in a sense of discovery, in a sense of something outside of something new. And I think, as much as it is about a new world in terms of land, in terms of something geographical, it's in terms of feeling, it's in terms of emotion. You know, she's feeling things she's never felt before. He's feeling things he's never felt before. It's this sort of like unexpected thing, you know. So I think it's not just a new world, but a new mm, a, a new awareness, a new sort of spiritual dimension within themselves that they're feeling for each other and for their own lives. I think yeah. they were both very much significantly changed by their interaction, by their meeting. It, it suddenly... There was a new dimension within themselves. And I think that is externalized through, you know, this new land. But I think that's secondary to the characters' journey within themselves. So that's kind of, I don't know if that answers your question about that, but... uh, It's
0: it's alluded to, I think, actually, in a very nice line towards the end where Captain Smith does go and visit Pocahontas in England. Mm -hmm. And she asks him did you ever find your Indies? Oh yeah. And the, it, it is alluded to that internal spiritual journey that he's been on the, this exploration of the world and what he was looking for. Mm-hmm. He's aware of it for at points. And it's mentioned in the screenplay in, in one of those beautiful descriptive lines that when he returns to Jamestown, he starts to forget how it felt to be with her in the forest. And he's constantly battling to try and remember that moment that when everything was right and they could have run off together and they chose not to. And they seem scarred by it in a way that that it was there for a moment and they could have just bonded together in love and nothing else and just tried to figure it out alone. Mm. And then the impossibility of that sets in and they become cynical they become lost and they don't know what to do because they felt it for a moment and then it was gone
1: yeah no yeah that that's that is kind of the tragic ending in a way but i would i would say that you know more for him than for her at least in the film i think she realizes maybe by that interaction at the end with him that she needs to be back in that state of mind she needs to be back to who she really is we see her in the beginning how she was this joyous very carefree free-spirited person and by the end you know she's married to someone she doesn't love uh, living a life that she is not quite invested in or enthusiastic about but she realizes that maybe the whole time it was because she was still clutching to the idea of a lost love. And then when that lost love actually turns up and realizes that there's nothing there and he's kind of an empty shell of his former self that she realizes that she needs to move on when she does. And I actually really like that, that sort of arc for her at the end that she just, she realizes that for herself Hmm. more so than him.
0: And as an allegory, there's that sense of the unpleasant marriage but it's the marriage of convenience, that um, mm-hmm. does come from some genuine affection on on Rob's part. Oh, yeah, for sure, in particular, but yeah. um, and and he he says, "You'll learn to love me." Mm-hmm. and he's pleading with her, and that we I think we do feel for for him mm-hmm. in in that sense because we we see the strength of his his feelings for her and the risks he takes by. Trying to be with her, which is obviously very frowned upon by by his community right and at the same time, we still understand that what's most important is is her and what what her feelings are mm-hmm. and he he is willing to step aside and and let her go back to smith eventually hes he says, well, it, it wasn't right she she thought he was dead, and she wouldn't have married me." If she thought he was alive.
1: I thought that yeah. was... I thought that was so... It made me really, really like him in that yeah. scene. I was just like, I... That's love. Mm-hmm. That's the, love. It is you the... Know?
0: Yeah, it's the the true the fact meaning that he, of love. Exactly. Is it's it's to, very selfless. To put someone else and their needs and their their mm-hmm. desires much more above your own. Is yes.
1: Exactly. I think he just wanted her to be happy. And I think in that scene, I me as the viewer... Realize how deeply in love he was with her. And and the fact that he was patient that entire time too. He was never trying to impose his love on her. I mean, he did marry her and he did sort of, you know, kind of not push her into it. But, you know, he kind of like convinced her of it. But he never, we never see a scene where he's trying to really impose his will on her or to try to rush her into loving him. He was always very patient to the very end. And even then, like you said, he was ready to let her go.
0: The story as a whole, it's Mm -hmm. interesting that we, obviously I get very excited about all of the historical details and following the progression of the, the Jamestown colony Mm -hmm. of the initial scenes of the, the first contact of the boats coming into the Harbor, everything that surrounds the ups and downs of, of that historical story, Mm -hmm. but truly it's a, a love story and most of the time is dedicated to just these three characters and in particular just john smith and pocahontas and their relationship right and it it treads a very fine line between being a completely romantic story and also being a historical film as well following a some form of linear story there at the same time but what do you make of it is it more of a romance or is it Is it something else?
1: I mean, there's definitely a romance there, but you don't really get your traditional romantic moments per se. I mean, there's definitely a lot of intimacy between the two of them, a lot of intimacy intercut with voiceovers and and all this stuff, but you never get that swelling of romantic music and and then they make out and then there's like a love scene and like there's nothing in terms of the traditional sense that makes me... I wouldn't describe it as a romantic film. Like, if you were to ask me a genre, I don't think romance would necessarily jump at me right away. I think it's... And
0: and yet it's written that way, which is interesting. In that almost every scene as it's written... That is true. ...relates to the romance. That is true. It's a very very mature approach
1: to, to romance. Maybe he probably changed it as he was shooting it and then piecing it together in the edit room that he realized that it wasn't necessarily just about a romance. I think
0: I, I think it works best as that as mm-hmm. the romance represents something. It's it's mm-hmm. it's an allegory for something else. Mm-hmm. And and yet we're able to understand that on the human level by following the characters.
1: It's it's a very it's a very emotional film. It deals a lot with Dealing with new, like I was mentioning earlier, like a new dimension, new sort of exploration of emotions that they're both feeling, you know? In terms of, for for her, it's obviously this connection to a stranger who she knows nothing about, but she can see sort of his essence. And at that point, he's at his peak. You know, he's this very courageous and, you know, sort of very fearless and selfless person. And then that kind of connects with her free spirit and very sort of carefree and very joyful person so you have like two human beings who just connect and they have this sort of intimacy and yes that could relate to a much bigger allegory of two different worlds colliding and there's that connection there's that meeting of these two worlds And if it would have been a more traditional romance, maybe we would not have gotten that feeling because it would have been very centered on the specifics of that romance. But also because of the way it was shot, because of the way it feels, it feels like it's beyond that. I don't think a, a traditional romantic film would have so many cutaways to trees and rivers and all these things. That's not necessarily that just that just shows you that it's not just about the two of them. It's about this new world. It's about this discovery, this sense of awe and discovery. I think that's kind of what he was going for. He probably saw the footage and was like, oh my God, there's so many like great shots and we're just going like, to splice them in there. <laughs> I, I mean, I can, would... I can't I mean,
0: imagine what it must have been like to have made this, to have finally compiled it and watched it back and thought, wait, must this is great. either a masterpiece or, or I've just made a very expensive mistake. But... It, it it has it has resonated with many people and mm-hmm. it is because it creates that sense of every time I go back to this film I'm going to find something new when we talk about it. our conversation today could have gone in many different directions as well. I feel that there is just so much there mm-hmm. it's well it's also- we, we usually have our you know our set length for an episode and I feel well we probably could record three different episodes on on this particular story because we would start thinking newer and newer things it tells you so much about the world about where the origins of the modern world we live in is Mm -hmm. coming from and just so many things are, are conveyed with just very quick shots that just disappear that it it has that it's reminiscent of good literature in the sense that you might reread a book and notice notice a line that hadn't jumped out to you before and then you read it again and you think wow that that was there all the time it was that was a really profound statement back there at the beginning yeah. or in the middle and here i think that happens as you as you rewatch it different details come to your to your eyes yeah. you see the shamans you see you see the chief you see how the native americans paint their bodies you see the the things that they're hanging from their ears and the, the clothing they're wearing and the weapons they have and all of these different th- every little detail just mm-hmm. the way that people emerge from the trees from the grass and seem well, you to could... blend in with nature and all right. these these different things that yeah just watching it once is never enough i don't think with this film
1: And i think the reason why that works and why you one has that experience with it is because It's minimalist in the way it's kind of told narratively. It's not your traditional this happened and that happened. Uh, I
0: I honestly thought the screenplay would be really short, to be honest. Mm. I thought, okay, there's so many scenes, so many cuts that are Terrence Malick style. Yeah. He must must have written about 70 pages
1: Mm -hmm. and just saw what happened. Kind of like lost in translation a little bit. Yeah. Uh, where it was very minimalist in that way. But no, I think you can project whatever you're going through or wherever you are in your own life in that moment when you see it because there's so much to project to because he's not really telling you too much in a way. There's a lot of uh, visuals and music and and feelings and emotions and, and you can bring anything to it. Like if you are in a state of your life where you're discovering love for the first time, you can connect to that part of the story if you're going through a period in your life where you're going through a major change you can project that into the story as well because to me it is also about change it's about the loss of innocence for her you know we see her the sort of very lively human being and then slowly she has her first heartbreak i'm assuming you know i think we we see the life sort of leap her eyes a little bit so it's a loss of innocence to me too i was able to kind of latch onto that part of the story or at least i felt that part you know
0: the death of her brother as well is something that Mm. one might not notice until they've revisited this or read the screenplay is that right the the man she's so close to in most of those early scenes is -hmm. is her brother Mm -hmm. and when he dies in one of the raids on jamestown that must have really destroyed shattered her world that that loss of innocence of of losing someone that she'd grown up with as well.
1: Right. And and there's also that, that scene. I really like that piece of dialogue towards the end of the film where she said, because she's constantly talking to Mother, mm-hmm. which I really like, and then she was saying at the very right end, um, Mother, you always told me that if I loved, that I would find joy and happiness. And why did you withhold so much from me? Essentially, is what she's saying. Like, clearly, you didn't tell me the entire truth. That, to me, is the loss of innocence. And that when I when I watched that it was an, very powerful an understanding
0: of the pain that love can cause. You mean?
1: Yes, for naively going for something and thinking that it's all going to work out, and which she had because she was she didn't really have a very a malicious bone in her body, and so she thought, well, you know, I, I all my intentions are great, so obviously it's all going to work out in the end, and it didn't. So I think that realization, that loss of innocence, that I think everyone can relate to. You know where things just don't work out the way you want them to. And then living with that day-to-day, with that cloud over your head of the what-ifs, of the regrets, of the guilt, the shame, all that stuff, which she does experience. And we get more sort of information in the script about that stuff, at least textually. But we see it in the performance, which is pretty much tells you everything. But I, you know, yeah, you can project so many different things, which is why it's such a universal film and I really can't quite box it in, into a sort of genre. I don't I mean it's kind of a biopic it's a kind of a, it's definitely a historical film. It's a lot of different things I would say. yeah I don't I think it's historical there's definitely romance in it, there's some drama. it's definitely not a war film. There's um, some battles. There's some battles, yes. Yeah, see, I don't know. It's <laughs> everything. <laughs> Which is like the best films I think are. I think they, they're not boxed in into one specific genre. They're a little bit of everything. It's definitely not a comedy, so at least I know that.
0: <laughs> one thing I, I think I'm realizing now as well is that Terrence Malick has this absolute ability to bring in the outside world. You're, you're in this dark room watching something on a screen yet you have this experience of being outside of experiencing so much of the world mm-hmm. and yet you haven't left your seat mhm and that's that's actually a very difficult thing to do mm-hmm. so many films now seem like roller coaster rides so you know when you're getting on and you know you're going to go on this bumpy journey and be let off at the end and but you've always felt like you were on rails and i I feel like this doesn't put you on rails. It lets you by giving you so much space, by giving you time to listen to the music, to watch what's on screen, to be with your own thoughts and not just listening to dialogue and not just following the actions of characters that you, you do wander off a little into your own
1: imagination. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you can project so much into it and you take out what you put in essentially, which is kind of his sort of genius, I guess, in in the films that he does. That is why it's not your conventional film because it doesn't have your normal sort of check marks, you know, that you would normally have. This has to happen at this point. I don't mm-hmm. even know what the first act is. Like it, there's, it doesn't set out. It to doesn't. It doesn't. Sense, no. it, and it doesn't matter. I think if we're talk about plot a little bit, which there's there's a very thin plot. Uh, But it's a story. To me, the story is divided into three beats. You know, the first one is when they get there and he is, you know, he's captured and he meets Pocahontas and he forms that connection. And the title
0: card is a new start, which I think sums it all up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything can happen. There's all these title cards, yeah. This is new. Mm -hmm. Anything can happen right now.
1: And then it's like joyous, and then it's exciting, and it's new, and there's like this freshness, and and then after that, the second beat to me is he goes back to the town, and it's almost like a reality check. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, she decides to approach them, and uh, she helps them out, but then that causes conflict with her, with her tribe, and with the you know, so now all of a sudden there's conflict between the two worlds. It
0: it it goes from euphoria. Mm -hmm. to the worst scenario imaginable it's almost hell on earth you you Mm -hmm. see people starving to death in jamestown Mm -hmm. you see the hostilities break out between the two forces how Mm -hmm. she's caught in the middle and blamed for so much of it Mm -hmm. and then yes the the third act in a way is this leveling out of compromising of trying to find some way to accept both of those states to accept that this is the way things are going to be from now on and that yeah. some of that magic can be rekindled but it will never be like that first act Or oh, yeah. some of the bad things will happen again but it will never it will never be as bad as that second act either that there's a stabilizing towards the end
1: yeah I, and and to me the the last one is her integration to england society that's pretty much her transition from that former world and then then it's her new world It then it flips and it, it's still the new world but from her perspective she's now experiencing what they experienced when they first got there mm-hmm.
0: my favorite part of that whole scene is mm. when she sees her uncle on the ship yes. and he says he's got his sticks and he's going to cut a notch in every single englishman he sees uh, yeah. As if he could count them, and this this actually came up in one of the the history books I, I was mm. reading in Benjamin Woolley's account, he did say this happened that Pocahontas's uncle did go to England with his sticks, so Terence Malick, Malick did lift that very funny in in retrospect, um, right. very funny moment from historical sources.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious, and then he kind of uh, acknowledges that at the end that that there's just too many. It's
0: he says I like blades of grass. Yeah, it's impossible to count.
1: And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's just interesting seeing how it's flipped at the end too, and seeing her adjusting to to that world and the reaction from everyone to her as well.
0: Yeah, she. I, I suppose she became famous and entered our cultural subconscious because of that, because of her trip to England, because it right. was the first time that so many people had had ever seen anyone from the new world
1: yeah um it's like almost seeing like a new race yeah it, I mean, we it, can't it, it fathom them was, now yeah. but you know at the time it's almost like we're greeting aliens yeah, or something. for us
0: the only having now explored the entire planet the only thing left is that we would meet extraterrestrials which we will and that's where a lot of science fiction takes us is because we no yeah. longer have this possibility in real life anymore mm-hmm. so it's either out there in space or or it's nowhere. Yeah. And yes, that pretty much does seem to be the reaction. And the fact that she turned into a bit of a symbol, too much so that she was representing this new world and all its hopes and aspirations. And this is always going to be too much for a single person to mm-hmm. have an entire city projecting its, its hopes and aspirations for the future onto a single human being.
1: And she didn't even have a long life. I mean, there was just so much that seemingly happened in her life, and she was, I think, what around twenty-one when she died. So it was just uh, so was very interesting to me, like how much life she actually must have lived.
0: Yeah, the new the new world for John Smith, his new start. He actually gets two as well. He gets two baptisms, as it were, because he he's brought to America in chains. Oh yeah having been accused of mutiny and then Captain Newport lets him free. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, it's a gentleman by the name of Wingfield, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, who basically becomes his main antagonist yeah. for the, the first half of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wingfield, who it is later believed is is actually a fraud himself and probably has his own reasons for wanting to get rid of Someone like Smith, who is a, right. a challenge to his authority and a threat, right. um, that 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 does add some good tension and conflict into the early parts of the film. Yeah. But he, but he gets that new start, and then when he's brought to Powhatan, the the emperor of the the tribes in in that area around um, the James River, he also goes through a second new start because. It's perceived that he's going to be executed. And actually, that was cleared up for me by Bernard Balin's explanation of of the Powhatan culture. Because one thing that was very important to them was interpreting dreams. And he, he mentions this as it took Western civilization a lot longer to figure out the importance of dreams. It wasn't until the psychoanalysts that that happens for our culture but the native americans had spent a long time thinking about the meanings of dreams and that the entire community there would be points where a dream could be considered so severe that they'd already brought in the the shaman they'd already told the the tribal leader that they would get the whole community involved in in figuring out the meaning of a dream and so a lot of this involved symbolically living out things that were happening to people in dreams mm. which a lot of this stuff is quite similar to psychoanalysis in a way of, of meanings coming from the subconscious and needing to be lived out ritually in life or or in or actually lived out and this ritual where pocahontas throws herself on top of him to save him actually was meant to be a symbolic ritual they were not planning to kill him but this was actually his initiation into the tribe it was symbolically to mark his death as a um as just being an english settler and to be reborn again but he had to think he was going to die in order for that to be effective so I think that does tell us a lot about what then goes on to happen because he's he's battling with that throughout the rest of the film, the fact that he had such a incredible experience living with them and that that all comes as a result of being brought into their community and initiated into it in that ritual fashion.
1: Yeah, I had briefly come across that, that some historians were convinced that that's what, what happened it wasn't like they were actually going to kill him
0: i like that interpretation
1: and i know but it also makes me wonder like then why would pocahontas stop the ritual if it was in, if it was an initiation why would she stop that I, th- I think the point is that john smith was
0: he liked to tell story he liked to tell tall stories about himself he liked mm. his reputation and he, he saw an opportunity to link himself to Pocahontas, who was currently the most popular person in England, upon her her arrival. So he told the story uh. in a way that linked him to that. And that's why this sense of the romance and their connection has been questioned by historians is because she was too young at the time for, for that to have been a romantic gesture of her trying to save his life or anything like that. Right. So I think that's where it comes from. It's the idea that he might completely have missed the whole point. He probably didn't understand what was happening, Mm. even himself. In retrospect, it looks like that's what was going on.
1: Interesting. I think, uh, I mean, even if there was no romance between the two of them, there's the idea of it and what it symbolizes. I think it's also just powerful in itself. And then there was eventually a a union of that between uh, Rolf and, and Pocahontas anyway.
0: Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then I think Thomas, in, in terms of thematically, uh, Thomas yeah. represents that that final new start for for yeah. America, as it were, the the first mixed race child mm-hmm. born of a union of John Rolfe and Pocahontas, and
1: you know, it kind of makes me wonder a little bit because in in Mexico modern Mexicans are the result of the mixture of the two, Mm -hmm. the native Mexicans and the indigenous people and the Spaniards. So I would say most Mexicans modern day stem from that initial union, but not in America, not here. Mm There is not.
0: One analysis I've heard of it is the difference between Catholicism as a evangelical religion, as one that wanted to save as many souls as possible. The Catholic Church had debates over whether or not indigenous Americans were human or not. When it was decided that they were human, this was something that was in in debate in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. When it was decided they were human, that opened up the doors to the church that, well, if they're human, they have souls. So if they have souls, those souls need to go to heaven and be saved. So there was this mass conversion of of the people. And as we know today in Mexico, there's a lot of strong Catholic sentiment, even amongst indigenous communities that might hold on to some of their own traditions. But there's a lot of firmly established Catholicism there. Whereas what was happening with Native Americans and Protestant settlers, because the North was settled by the English and the Dutch primarily, both Protestant uh, empires, they didn't think that it was necessary to convert them. While they were able to have their own religious freedom, which is what many of the Protestant settlers were looking for. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted their freedom from churches back in Europe mm-hmm. for their Protestantism, but they didn't necessarily believe in converting Native mm-hmm. Americans. And therefore, it, what actually happened was more like segregation in terms of they should live over there. We have no reason to interact with them. And then this gradual pushing and forced migration of, of the people into smaller and smaller areas of land. And then obviously, as America grows and more land is incorporated into states native americans are put onto reservations mm-hmm. and so it continues right and and that seems to be the reason why there's not so much of a, a mixing it's one explanation i've heard which i thought was reasonably convincing
1: no that makes sense and i've never really thought about it to be quite honest with you until now mm-hmm. and
0: maybe the sheer numbers of fresh immigrant you know america has that sense of being a nation that was constantly being filled with new arrivals from Europe, so you'd have mm. this constant influx of people
1: who—that makes sense too. Hadn't
0: yeah, really. Every generation, you've got a whole new influx of new immigrants from Poland, yeah. from Ireland, from from Russia, from Italy, from from everywhere in in Europe, and then that would then lead to yes, some people would have some Native American heritage, but. It grows thinner just because of the, the sheer population of new arrivals that keeps coming in.
1: It just makes you wonder, you know, there would be a whole lot more brown people in America, you know, because Mexico is, you know, my culture background is, you know, definitely a mixture of the two. Um, definitely a lot of indigenous, but definitely quite a bit European mixed in there when most Americans don't have that at all. You know, it's very, very rare when you meet someone that's part Native American and part Caucasian. It just doesn't—you don't yeah. really see that. So, in in a way, that
0: that ending to the film doesn't ring true. It, do, right. it doesn't herald right. this new age. And and like I mentioned before, Thomas didn't grow up in America. He he apparently came here in his twenties, mm. but he grew up in England, where he was left after his his mother died. John Rolfe considered the journey too dangerous for him hmm. and left him to be brought up by a relative of his while John Rolfe returned to the colonies in which he died. It's not known how he died. He may have been murdered by tribes or he may have died of disease himself, but he died a few years later after returning. Hmm. And so Thomas actually grew up in England. And it's... so you you miss out on, but I I mean, that's what this film is about right it's it's trying to unite it's trying to give us an ending that that symbolizes that unification
1: right right. and in
0: reality it that unification didn't really come true
1: no it didn't It, (laughs) it, it,
0: it was a gradual pushing of people away from from the land that they had had been living in for millennia
1: yeah no it definitely doesn't have that um reality to it it's more of a hopeful, maybe in a different timeline. I don't know. It just doesn't have that same... But it, but I like the ending because it feels true to that story. It feels true to that moment in time where the, the future wasn't written yet. And there was that... It just makes that moment feel more special, you know, that possibility that could have been. And then it kind of just in that moment, there was definitely that collision of two worlds coming together and Thomas being the the results of that and for that moment almost being sort of at the birth of something new which didn't really come to pass but anyways i, I do like the ending and even if it's not historically accurate i do find it it's a it's a it's a nice emotional ending to this particular story
0: yeah I, th- I think there's a sense of certain uh directors take this depending on their worldview i suppose but mm-hmm. i recently in Ad Astra I saw this as well that there's this sense of the moon has been colonized. Once humanity starts expanding out into the rest of the solar system, mm-hmm. those places just become more and more like Earth. It, you don't you don't escape and start anew. You just bring all of the problems mm. that you had on Earth into into the new place.
1: And, oh, yeah, that rings true.
0: And so you can have that more um, negative view of how things will be. Mm. which is probably the more accurate view. Or you can have Malik's hopeful suggestion at the end. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: When it comes to internal journeys, though, perhaps there is something to be hopeful about. There is that sense of, well, America did in some way break off many of the systemic problems that existed in Europe and then really... In some ways, re-exported democracy back into into Europe right. in, in later years. That's true. That so, is true. And then that, yeah, the sense that goes with that of democracy and social mobility and mm-hmm. yeah, the individual rights and things, and that it did become this cross Atlantic project of of creating the mm. imperfect world we have today, but still much better. I think most people would agree than than um, the, the strict religious and monarchical hierarchies that people yeah. had to live under before.
1: No, I mean, that's a, I really like that insight. That's true. And I guess big picture, it did eventually lead to that outcome. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way. But yes, I, I do agree. It's almost like that to cross the ocean to sort of bring back a little more humanity. No, I like that a lot. I did want to say something about speaking of themes and one of the uh, because i wanted to talk about the last moment between pocahontas and john smith and the way it's written in the script i thought was very very immersive in the emotions that that were happening in that moment when they met again and i kind of want to read this um short little description this is when they see each other for the first time so it says But when he kisses her cheeks and her lips, her will melts away. Tongues of fire shoot through her veins, and for a moment she returns to kiss. But with the parting of her lips, she lets him go. The spell is broken. Her love has died, passed off like a dream. I felt that, like I felt what that meant, And, and it was so vivid emotionally for me reading that and and seeing it too you the performance really carries that through where you you uh, because i read the script after i watched the film but watching that particular scene it was like oh yeah she's she's she's, he's
0: such a high bar for himself with these with these descriptions though he he sets the bar so high okay i need these actors to do this make make my audience feel this (laughs) this
1: <laughs> oh I know reading that I would be I would feel this horrible daunting pressure for sure um, but also I think in the end it's it's very much implied that he's the mess you know he's definitely not the John Smith that we knew in the first part of the film you know it's written that he just kind of was an empty shell of his former self and she instantly knew this I think I think it's written where she sees him and she just sees him for for who he was
0: there's that chasing of hopes and dreams, and mm-hmm. the the unfulfilled aspect of that. and again, going back to the internal journey, right. Smith, at times, seems very aware of the others around him in Jamestown as being deluded, having their priorities on on finding gold when they can't even find food, mm-hmm. not using America for its purpose, which is to live this carefree life with nature that's what he thinks the purpose is when he first arrives it's this new opportunity that they don't have to live that way anymore they don't have to fight over over meaningless arguments and where they're going to get money and what they're going to export back and then that that just starts eroding and it, it seduces him as well the the idea that he could become a famous explorer he's willing to sacrifice that relationship Mm-hmm. And it just leaves him a broken man. Essentially, he he doesn't find anything, and he yeah. he just struggles for that entire time, years and years, so that when he goes back to see her, it's it's too late. It's it's all gone. The moment's gone,
1: and the worlds are flipped. You know, in in the way that a civilized society is defined uh, from the perspective of the British, and now it's like he's sort of the. Mm-hmm. The kind of natural whatever like he, he's more of a, a wildling type of human and she's you know there with her corset and she's a proper lady and she's you know so it's it's very interesting how the world's just kind of flipped by the end there i was really intrigued by the fact that she instantly recognized what was happening with him without much explanation and it was all there in her looks and the way she saw him the way she reacted to him and the way she asked, so did you ever find your Indies? The way she asked that question conveyed so much to me when I watched the film. You instantly knew where she stood. You knew that she didn't love him anymore. In a way, she pitied him. And she was no longer there in that mindset, in that, in that connection between the two of them. And I think that moment spoke a lot. I think that was the thing I was talking about earlier where they took out a lot of the dialogue from her part yeah a lot of the dialogue is still from his part still in the film but from her is not much is set in the film because but
0: it doesn't need to be said exactly with, with just a few words and mm-hmm. i i do think we, we don't know which version of the screenplay is the one that is easily available and circulating online mm-hmm. it maybe it was rewritten before shooting a little bit i mean it it certainly is the screenplay to the mm-hmm. new world there are Lots, most, all the scenes are there and much of the dialogue is still intact, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly the biggest changes are cutting away of dialogue Yeah, and it just seems because
1: it's almost like it's an afterthought. Yeah. It, it,
0: it translates very well to the screen without the dialogue. It works so much better to have this balance of you get the internal views of the characters and a lot of the dialogue you get. We can maybe we can segue this into our, our closing summaries and start with dialogue here. Much of the dialogue we get in the film is practical. It's plot-driven. It, it shows us the desperation of the settlers. It, it shows us what, what Newport's planning to do. And it tells us where we are in the story. Yeah. But in terms of the characters relating to each other, Terrence Malick much prefers to make that visual. He prefers to show us these, these shots of, of, the, of Pocahontas dancing around John Smith, of her chasing him, uh, seeking him out in, in the tall grass and things like that. It all becomes so much more visual, and that has a completely different effect, but it works in the way that the screenplay intended with its dialogue initially mm. in, in the sense we feel like we're getting to know the characters we're learning about them but it's all it's so much more intuitive it's about seeing these characters as as beings in front of us and and distant from us as opposed to listening to their words
1: yeah and it's a lot there's a lot of body language dialogue if you will uh, especially in the early scenes when john smith and uh, pocahontas are connecting there's a lot of communication that is done through her prancing or you know showing how she expresses a certain word using her hands she's very articulate in how she's externally communicating with him without the use of um words
0: yeah i would i actually had this written down as something to mm-hmm. to bring up i would argue this is part of the dialogue of this film is the nonverbal communication Yeah, yeah. it's almost like a sign language. And Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about it is you get two forms of sign language. You get the the English sign language, which is Mm. a bit It is a bit easier for us to to understand the meanings of. Mm -hmm. And then you get scenes such as when she's um, she's asking him the names of things in English. She doesn't point at the sky and point at the sun. She she mimics them yeah and we're we're Mm. in his position during that scene we're trying to figure out what is she trying to say with this movement of her arms and he responds with with sky and sun and wind and Mm. water and and all of those things so there is so much non-verbal communication Mm. some of the dialogue is in in their language as well and is subtitled Mm. and other parts of it are in english but it it gets hidden as well. We, we have dialogue that is interspaced with his thoughts at times and it's hard to follow the track of the conversation because his mind is so hectic. The, the use of dialogue in, in this film mm-hmm. can be broken down in so many different ways because he, he has tried so many different dialogue techniques that probably most films would attempt one of them, I think, and stick with yeah. that. But he, he's using a lot of different techniques there.
1: One thing that I did notice, too, there's a lot of non-mutual conversations, meaning uh, there's a couple scenes where Pocahontas is, is asking someone something and the other person is very non-reactive, doesn't say anything. And through their non-not saying anything, she gets her answer and we never yep. cut to the other person. We're all on her.
0: When, when she finds out that John Smith isn't dead. That mm-hmm. actually is is one of those occasions. Yep. The the woman who has just been talking about yep. Smith being alive. And I thought that was kind of I
1: thought that was kind of odd when I first read it. I mean when I first watched it. But then it happened again a couple more times and I'm thinking, okay, this is obviously yep. intentional. This
0: is the language of the film.
1: Because yeah. it's like why it's just awkward that the other person is is she either pretending not to hear her or what is going on in this moment. But I think the effect of that particular approach is that you are honed in on her emotional journey at that moment you're you're more intimate with what she's feeling yeah, and it and it has nothing to do with the other person it's more about how she's reacting to the other person as well so i thought that was very interesting i hadn't really quite seen that in another film before but which again adds to the experimentation of it just being very visual and it's not so much yeah, we're going to cut to the other person. We have like two medium shots and we're going to make it a traditional way. Also within the scene, they would like kind of cut to later in the scene and then cut back to the middle of the scene and they would just have images. So it was just this very going back and forth within the same time frame, which I also thought was very interesting, but he does that though. I think that I've noticed that he does that in, in his other films as well. Mm -hmm. He's, Kind of infuses that ethereal quality to his films. I think that's part of the reason why it's almost like a dream, you know, in a dream, you, you go back and forth. You don't know what the beginning is. You don't know what the end is. You're just there. Mm -hmm. And it kind of feels like a dream. It kind of gives it that very dreamlike ethereal quality to it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the, some people, many people's problem with the tree of life, for example, would be Mm -hmm. because it, it does that but it's, it's more modern and we're not used to seeing the world through that lens. Whereas with the thin red line, uh, days of heaven and, and the new world, it's, it's historical. So we're, it's not real to us anyway. So we, Mm. we're less, um, we're less demanding about how the story is told to us. We Mm. we're happier to take it on those terms. But when he tries to bring it in, into the modern day, it seems to upset audiences a bit more.
1: That's it. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I love The Tree of Life. I thought that one was uh, one of his brilliant films. I have not seen a lot of his newer stuff. I will say though, so I don't know yeah, if I he's... can't
0: pass any judgment on that. But yeah, I'm looking forward to his new one. Um, so we've just done dialogue, characters, anything to add my basic summary of the characters are they're they're not the most historical in terms of what really happened but Mm -hmm. it's because this romance is meant to tell us something poetic about what what the union of these two distinct civilizations might mean what the hopes the aspirations the opportunities were what the lowest points were the the pain of this failed romance as well um i i think the characters themselves are all very memorable i think there's something very very clear about each one of them that you can certainly see such a big difference between rolf and smith for example Mm -hmm. and that is because they both stand out their portrayals so well well done um and then Pocahontas as a character, this this person who starts out with such an enjoyment of, of life and existence that mm. then goes down into such dark depths of grief for a time, but then also reclaims things just before her death, I think. Yeah, there's there's so much in terms of character there.
1: I think part of the reason why, well, it feels like a character piece and kind of alluding it a little bit to, I'm going to compare it a tad to Steve Jobs in which it was not entirely historically accurate, but it was more interested in trying to capture a feeling and try to capture an essence to who this guy was. And I think that's what this film tried to do, as, well, did as well. I think this film really tried to infuse its characters with a feeling, with an emotional journey rather than a historical one that, you know, they did this and then they went and did that. And it's, it's, not, really, it's not really about that. You know, I think it's shot in a way and it's portrayed in a way of just capturing the essence of who these characters are. Maybe they weren't like that at all. Like, you know, I was not there 400 years ago and I don't know anyone who was. So who are we really to say who these characters actually were other than words in a book that was passed down three years? Who knows, really, at the end of the day. But for this particular story, this interpretation of that time, and for the purposes of what Terrence Malick wanted to say with this film, I think it was beautifully done how we capture the essence of these characters. And by showing the depth of their emotions in small moments, small actions, their, honestly, their inner monologue, their voiceover in the film, I think that really added to who these characters were. To me, that's where the most character development happened. Like, listening to their thoughts. What are they thinking about the other person? What do they think about what they're experiencing in that moment? You're literally getting a front row seat to the inside of their mind, and their hearts and their soul Mm -hmm. it's what they're saying so i think that was
0: positivity and then their negativity mm -hmm. the the way that the way that opinions on things evolve and
1: yeah so i think that's i think that was to me the that was the character development for me is the, the inner monologue really just spearheading that so story we can um, well I think I kind of said everything I wanted to say about story in terms of I felt that there was more story than plot there wasn't it was a very
0: in terms of the emotional story
1: yeah which is in
0: terms of what the characters go through right certainly
1: yeah yeah so it's kind of just it's kind of combined really character and story is essentially the same in this one you're really going on that emotional journey with them and then it's reflected in what is happening in terms of story, what happens with with them. Obviously, there are external things that happen to them that kind of forces them apart, pushes them together, changes the course of their lives, obviously. And I think that is the story in itself. But I don't think you're... You shouldn't go watch this film expecting a very historical plot.
0: On first viewing, you might go away from it saying, what was the story? How do I summarize what I just saw and... Mm -hmm. I reading the screenplay I think helps with that in in laying it out linearly what happened but yeah I think the story itself is so hard to define because you're going on this non-linear journey you're going through different emotional states you're relating to Mm -hmm. to these yes there's only a few characters but you are you're going through their lives you're going through these huge transformative moments of their lives as part of the story
1: that's what it is there's a lot of moments actually moving forward the emotional journey and speaking for characters i think it's all about these moments kind of compiled in this sort of ultimately what i feel is a giant montage mm-hmm. type of feeling you know it's like kind of feels like a montage film well i, I would rather call it a, a visual poem it feels more like that but yeah it's I mean the story is this you know Native American young girl meets this uh British man and they form a connection and their lives change because of it. It's a very simple story, and obviously it has all this historical context as a backdrop to that particular story, but it's more about these characters. It's definitely a character driven film for sure,
0: yeah, and then to compare that to the plot, I think the plot is is very much about what really happened. In the Jamestown colony, it's, it's following that rise and fall. These plot points are essentially that, okay, Smith gets a second chance. He's allowed to live instead of being hanged. He leads an ex, a trading expedition to go and visit the chief. Mm-hmm. The chief spares his life. Smith lives among them for a while, learns more of their ways. Returns to Jamestown. There is a plot there that can, oh, yeah, be, can be discerned. Sure. you watching the collapse of the Jamestown colony, the collapse of the uh, relations with the Native Americans that originally inhabited that land. All of that is there as a plot. And then, of course, the arrival, the leaving of John Smith, Pocahontas being traded for a kettle to, <laughs> oh, to the yeah. English.
1: That was um, hilarious. And then essentially yes. living...
0: Uh, in captivity as, a, as is yeah. one way of putting it she she lived a much freer life previously and then essentially she found that uh, civilized life as for lack mm. of a better word is, is essentially a form of captivity and yeah that's true and then you have yes john rolfe um their their marriage and the birth mm. of their son and her death and well her going to england meeting the King of England, the Queen of England, seeing that new world herself, and then and then her death. There is a plot there.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, for sure.
0: I think this is one of the first times that the distinction we're making between story and plot seems much more important. Because very few times does the plot, aside from what eventually gets John Smith to leave, very few times does the plot affect that emotional story in the same way, because they're often feeling things for each other when they're not together. When things are not necessarily happening, we go into their, their minds, we hear from them, mm-hmm. and we go on that journey with them, despite mm-hmm. the plots, the plots um, transpiring at a very different pace to the emotional story. Yeah, They are being swept along on the waves of history. And at some point, they are not in control of the de- all of the decisions, right. all of the, the things that can happen to them.
1: Right. That's why it's not so plot-heavy, because they have very little to do with, yeah, you're right, with what the external yeah. is doing to them.
0: The day that Newport arrives with the um with the ships from England again, that mm. will ultimately save all of the... Settlers who have survived the famine. That has nothing to do with any of the characters. They can't control that. That right. is that is a plot point in that. Yeah. It just has to happen. That, but they have no control over mm-hmm. the weather. That's going to get that boat across the Atlantic.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And also, just remembered, fun fact: uh, in the cartoon, the Disney Pocahontas. The John Smith's best friend, Thomas, which was named after Pocahontas and John, uh, John Rolfe's son, is voiced by Christian Bale, funnily enough. <laughs> I did not know that. I just remember that right now. Yeah. Um. And actually, Miko makes an appearance in this film. Miko, which was the little raccoon. There's like a raccoon in a cage. I just thought of it because I used to watch that film when I was a kid. Well,
0: Palpatine also wears a coat of um raccoons so maybe miko was one of those
1: <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, miko and his family <laughs> uh that's funny okay um, yeah, the
0: reality doesn't always <laughs> match up with the disney version <laughs> uh themes quick summary of themes uh, to to me just for themes uh one thing i think is evident right from the very beginning is uh Terence Malick considers life to be an absolute miracle. And so I think that sense is infused throughout the film all the way through, that this is miraculous, that rivers are miraculous, trees are miraculous, sunlight is miraculous. All of this from the very first moment uh, when we're seeing Pocahontas and some Mm -hmm. companions swimming underwater is just that sense of, you're watching something special. There's some, there, this is, this is the story of life. He's, it's this big declaration of, we're not just thinking about, okay, how do we get these characters to meet? It's, mm. let's take the first few minutes to just think about how amazing it is that any of this exists. Mm-hmm. So I think that thematically, maybe it comes from a sense, as as I mentioned from that quote from, from Bernard Balin of, that there's spirits infusing every aspect of the world for for native americans maybe it comes from something a bit more of his own modern f- philosophy but i think it's there as, as a major theme
1: oh yeah yeah definitely i mean even at the end we close out with nature and even as the credits are rolling you you hear the sounds of nature so that's obviously a major uh character in the film it's you know just like you said that miracle of life obviously he has so much love and respect and he's got a lot of awe for it i mean there's a lot of shots where it's kind of very majestic one that really stands out is when it's very early on in the film and it's one of my favorite little pieces of montage is when her and john smith are just kind of frolicking around the the grass and There's a shot of her uh, kind of extending her arms and it's like a low angle shot. And it's just kind of looking up at her, but we're looking at the entire um, sky. And it's just like these kind of majestic, very spiritual, very sort of um, awe-inspiring type of shots that kind of reflects, I think, that theme of life just being a miracle and the discovery of this new world. Part of the theme is just the discovery of... A new emotional dimension
0: and, and that theme might be the same as the one that we've been calling the american dream earlier on mm. in the sense that it's just this new awakening of possibilities and yeah everything that's possible through this um through this new interaction this new land that's been discovered
1: yeah, so I think that that's kind of the external manifestation of what intimately is happening between the, the two characters. Because ultimately, it is just I feel about the relationship between John Smith and Pocahontas and the birth of you know this new emotion that they're they're both feeling. You know, I think we are invited to go on that journey of how they're both discovering new feelings, and and I think that speaks to a lot to everybody you know when you are discovering something new within yourself a new dimension a new outlook on life and i think that to me is the the rise and fall of that because we definitely see the fall of that you know to me it's the 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 excitement and the the joys, discoveries and, and that connection and then um experiencing the downfall of that how it doesn't last and then but and then it picks up at the end. It's about resilience as well. You know, I think we really see Pocahontas' his spirit kind of get broken, you know, towards the end of the film. But she's resilient and we know why she's resilient because, you know, we see her true nature. We see that she she loves life and she's endlessly curious about everything around her. And even in the moment when she actually lands in england and she's in you know she's obviously depressed she's very beautiful yeah she still
0: gets up close to the the window glass and is she's just shocked by it and surprised by it but bored and fascinated
1: she's not that depressed that she's not going to like you know explore um and be um curious about this new world for her so it's about i think to me just that the human spirit. For if,
0: if love is a theme, then its counterpart is in there too, and that's the grief, and it's the mm-hmm. warfare, and it's the hostilities, it's the abuses, it's yeah. the, the torture, it's it's all of the terrible things, mm-hmm. because they're both connected. You you can't have one without the other. But in order to feel yeah. such high euphoric feelings, you need to have it. You need to have a baseline to compare it to. And it's Absolutely. that it's as the world becomes worse and worse and worse that the meaning of something like keeping love alive in those conditions yeah. seems to become more significant.
1: Yeah. And then I think it's um, a celebration of all of that. It's a celebration, I think, of the human spirit, and that is embodied by Pocahontas. I think it's her spirit that really. Um, kind of brings that to life and in, in terms of, of, of themes, uh, I think, yeah, loss of innocence, love, um, life, new, new emotions. Uh,
0: as I said before, and I think, I think this is becoming even more apparent is just the fact that this, this film offers so much to talk about that we'll probably think of four more themes after we finish but let's just
1: say it has all of them it
0: has (laughs) yeah it's it's one of those films that's so deep that yeah even with our long form discussions Mm -hmm. it's hard to truly i i think people could write books about you know film criticism they could dedicate chapters to to the new world Mm -hmm. um i think we can leave it there and i really i think this has been a great discussion i think I hope you at home have really enjoyed it
1: as well, and really read the the script because I think it's uh, it's honestly that's the
0: final recommendation. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, because read the screenplay.
1: It's not the film. It's the, I mean, it is, but it, it's a completely different experience. My emotional journey reading the script was way different from me watching the film, and it's just different. But it's it's also a very a beautiful journey as well. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely read the script.
0: Yeah. And as I discovered um, through my research, Bernard Balin, the historian, he wrote The Barbarous Years, where uh, you can also find out mm. so much more about this history in a very, very well-written and very well-researched book by someone who's towards the end of his career. So has built up many, many, many years of um, experience of, of teaching this material. So
1: Cool. I mean, I'll check him out too. I haven't heard from him i've heard of him so
0: yeah so uh that's it for the new world sounds good yeah all right goodbye thanks again for listening please do subscribe if you haven't already anything you can do in terms of recommending the show to friends or sharing it on social media will help us out a lot thanks again for all your support and see you in two weeks for the next episode